0: Hey y'all, welcome to Electric Liberty Land episode number 163. I decided to start with some funky music I found just to throw you off track a bit. Because I got something to tell you about North Spokane Hemp Company, our sponsor for today's top of the show, which you can find at NorthSpokaneCBD.com. And that's Spokane, S-P-O-K-A-N-E, North Spokane Hemp Company, NorthSpokaneCBD.com. They've got everything you need as far as healing your aches and pains, helping out with uh, insomnia issues, helping you out with uh, finding your tinctures, finding your flowers, finding everything you could want for hemp products, CBD products. They even have... Meds for pets to help them out if they are having some issues with joint pain. So check them out, help us out. And if you enter the promo code LIONS, you can get 25% off your order through the end of February. So again, North SpokaneCBD.com.
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and Liberty, with your host, Brian McWilliams. It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. Have you ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, you're...
0: Welcome, 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 my dog-faced pony soldiers, <laughs> all you lying sons of bitches. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 163. Oh, what a glorious time to be alive. I never want Joe Biden to leave my life. Not ever. I want to see, you know, they animated Joe Biden telling that crazy story about holding children underwater while they looked at his blonde leg hairs, you know, wishing around in the tides, wishing and swishing. Well, Joe Biden has obviously topped himself with this latest interview i think it was like a little town hall that he held and a woman who uh um, you know i was saying as a little bit dog-faced a little bit of a dog face but a woman asked him a question about you know whatever some some innocent remark and joe biden who cannot seem to handle any sort of questioning whatsoever can't handle any sort of pushback from anybody on any policy and meanwhile He seems to have no concept of what to talk about other than the fact that he at one point was Obama's vice president and that he's just been around D.C. for years. But Joe Biden gives us his latest treasure in replying and calling this woman a lying dog-faced pony soldier, which we were told is from a John Wayne movie. And there is a movie called Pony Soldier, However, it does not star John Wayne. And at no point within it does the phrase, you're a lying dog-faced pony soldier ever get uttered. (laughs) Oddly enough, I was reading an article on it. And I guess in the the movie, the line says, the pony is from an Indian chief, by the way. So, you know, John Wayne, or not John Wayne, excuse me. uh, Joe Biden not only insults a woman in the crowd, but also is now culturally appropriating racist Indian stereotypes, Native American Indian, I should say, stereotypes, by uttering a line, which is not quite the exact same line, which from the movie reads, the pony soldier speaks with the tongue of the snake that rattles. So I guess, you know, forked tongue, whatever. But we've got another beautiful Joe Biden uh, moment, a memeable moment from Joe Biden, and I could not be happier. I mean, honestly... The concept of the brokered convention for the Democrats is becoming more and more delightful to think about because not only are you going to see Bernie fans go absolutely rabidly insane when it inevitably happens, you may see a Hillary Clinton roll out of the woodwork coughing and collapsing. You're going to have Joe Biden just randomly spouting uh, different different monologues from films. Maybe he'll do one from the vagina monologues, a <laughs> pistol of evidence off. Maybe he'll pull out a line from uh, the old big troubled little Gina which, of course, I just watched for the first time with my baby. Very important moment. But you know what old Joe Biden says when the back of his favorite head is tapped up against the wall? He says, sir, the check is in the penguin suitcase doppelganger rubber ball bounce, 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 bounce. Because Joe Biden is going goddamn senile and doesn't know what the fuck he's saying. (laughs) But God, what a wonderful way to wrap up a week in which we still have ongoing Iowa cauckeye nonsense, wherein somehow Pete Booty Judge has beaten Bernie Sanders to get the most delegates, winning all of the coin tosses, that most sophisticated and scientific process of coin tosses, and has gotten the delegates, despite the fact that Bernie Sanders got more votes, which is, again, hilarious, because the Democrats, including Bernie Sanders, like to cry and whine about people getting the most votes, and Booty Judge among them, Because when Trump won, even though he won the Electoral College, he did not get all of the popular vote. Hillary Clinton got that. And of course, they whined and they cried about how unfair it is. I know Bill Maher was just whining and crying about the Electoral College not being fair. And in the meantime, as I said before in the show, the flip side happened in France where the popular vote was not won by the uh, liberal candidate. And they whined and cried that a straight Democratic vote was the wrong thing. So really, as long as your guy isn't winning... The system's always going to be, quote unquote, rigged against you. That's the moral of the story. Here. But God, I just, oh, give me that, give me that broker convention. Give me that Hillary Clinton crawling out of the, uh, whatever, a tomb she's hiding in, whatever, you know, lizard spaceship is buried in the ice, like in the thing. That's two Kurt Russell references for you people. Two within the first six minutes of this ship. Yes. Big trouble, in little China. And now the original thing. But God, could you just imagine? Once again, we get Hillary versus Bernie versus versus Biden versus booty judge. Maybe Kamala Harris will come back. It's like watching The Bachelor, you know, or any reality show where they bring these people in out of the cold, even though they haven't been viable, they haven't been relevant. They just seem to appear. And it's always the worst possible people, too. It's never the good folks that are coming back. I mean, maybe Democrats think Hillary Clinton's a good folk, but for the rest of us, It is the classic villain returning to destroy everyone's day where everybody sees her come in and they go, oh, God damn it, this bitch again. That is what we're going to see with this convention. And I can't wait. I am giddy with excitement, if you cannot tell. Anyway, welcome to the show. As I say, that's six and a half minutes in. Um, To get all the show notes for today's episode, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 163. And uh, we're just going to see how it goes, guys. You know, I got a lot of shit that I want to talk about today. But as with last week, I am still uh, in the throes of babydom and uh, still tired, man. God, I was tired. I feel a little amped up now because I had a coffee. I had a business meeting at about two. So that coffee's still coursing through me. I ate a bunch of those Brookstone candies, you know, the chocolate-covered blueberry ones that they sell fucking troughs full of a costco and giant bag you can staple to your face and you know for better or worse i ate a bunch of them so i'm all hopped up but i could crash at any moment so let's dive into it and see how far we get so first things first i did my recap for the state of the union last week if you didn't listen to that please go check it out Uh, That can be found at liberty.com forward slash ELL162 or just scroll backwards in your app feed. I doubt many of you are going to our website to listen to these things, but I didn't talk about the fact that Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union speech because I didn't see it. I jumped out of there to try to get the thing recorded because I was so tired it was so long. As soon as Trump was wrapping it up, I zipped out of there before I even saw him actually leave the podium and I didn't see the temper tantrum thrown by this woman. Now, you'd think somebody that has paper skin thin like Nancy Pelosi would have more respect for the tearing of paper, lest her flesh splits in twain, exposing her bright bones underneath to the rest of the world. But to see her do that, to see her, I mean, look, I don't like Donald Trump as far as his policies. I'm not going to lie. I find him vastly entertaining as president, by, by far the most entertaining president of my lifetime. But... Not a big fan of his policies. I'm not, not a fan of what he's been doing as of the last two and a half, three years with maybe the exception for the First Step Act. But still, even though I don't like him, even though I don't like, and I tell this to every single person that complains about like, you know, Donald Trump, they bitch about his, what he's doing in office and how his tweeting somehow is uh, giving us a bad reputation. Is there no respect for the office of the president? And I tell them, why the fuck do you care? Does he represent you personally? No. Does he represent me? No. Why are you giving these people in government the power to represent you in such a way that it affects you personally, that you're getting so rabidly upset because this man who's elected by half the company or half the country, who's just trotting his ass out there and making an ass of all of us if we're being honest, as far as the amount of power he has to wage war, to change people's lives, to murder children, to uh, alter our, our very destiny in regards to trade deals. This man's got too much power already. Why would you give him the power over what you are and who you are because of some fucking tweets or because he happens to have the office of president? But that being said, it was ridiculous to see Nancy Pelosi act like a fucking petulant child and rip up his speech in a very blatant motion when she knew the cameras were still on just so she could, you know, give the red meat to the uh, the Democratic base just so they know for a fact that she thought this speech was bullshit. As if we didn't know that from watching the impeachment garbage that was going on for the past three weeks. And of course, which Trump was acquitted on because there was zero chance of him ever not being acquitted. It was, I mean, it really was sad to see, though. This little, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's uh, the Greek drama unfolding here in front of us while the chorus sings of, uh, of Donald Trump's evils and convinces the, uh, the waiting public that he is assuredly going to fall you know, like the Greek tragedies of old. Tell us so, chorus. I can't remember what they called the chorus, man. i blanking on it. I should know it as an English major and having taken classes that talked about the subject. But, anywho... There will be no Deus ex machina, no God from the machine to save the Democrats, no matter how many theatrics they put on behind Trump in the State of the Union, no matter how many times they try to impeach him. And at this point, what would be the point of introducing new articles of impeachment? You know, it's going to go nowhere. And Trump is polling at the highest rate of his presidency. Everything the Democrats are throwing at him bounces off because it's all based in idiocy and nonsense and shit that the average public can look at a president. They go, every other president's done that and 10 times worse. Donald Trump's done 10 times worse. Like I said, just look at his war policies. Just look at the amount of of, uh, money lost during this tariffs. You know, he says he's fighting for jobs here, but the tariffs have hurt the economy. It has hurt our manufacturing capability. All the industries that depended on steel were hurt because he couldn't get steel in at an affordable cost because that comes from Canada and it comes from Mexico and it comes from all these places. To go after him because of a fucking phone call is not convincing. It's blatantly partisan politics, and people just looked at it and yawned, and they go, "You know what? I've had enough of these jerkoffs." which is why he's polling at his highest level, which is why the State of the Union, much to my surprise, didn't talk about impeachment whatsoever. And you know, it was the right move because it showed that Donald Trump considers this to be so far below him that it's not even worth mentioning. Now, granted, he did go on after that and talk to, uh, I can't remember what it was, some some gathering of conservatives or something like that. Maybe It wasn't the press dinner, but it was something along the lines of that that they do every year. And press, Trump went out there and he called it all total... Bullshit. And you can't argue about that. This was all utter bullshit. The public saw through it. And except for the absolutely blind Democratic voters, I think most people would probably err towards the side of Trump because they are seeing pure theatrics instead of actual tangible solutions, especially when the Democrats are rolling out people that are throwing $35 trillion plans against the wall. So anyway, that's that. Uh, oh, it was the prayer be- prayer breakfast, guys. That's what it was. He slammed the Democrats and Romney at the prayer breakfast. And like, just real briefly, too, Romney getting feeded as this hero, you know, this guy that, that people are saying somehow voted with his conscious bullshit. Romney is a never Trump guy. He always has been a never Trump guy. And he despises Trump, especially because he came out so hard against Trump. Trump played him for a fool in hilarious fashion by offering him a position. I think it was an ambassadorship. Mitt Romney accepts it. And then he goes, ah, never mind. And by doing that, he showed that Mitt Romney is simply an opportunist, that all of his opposition to Trump came because he wanted to be liked, he wanted to get elected, he thought that was his easiest path forward, and he's really a guy that has no morals, otherwise he wouldn't have taken that position in the first place. He would have said, no, I have to stay here because I want to oppose you, Donald Trump. So, fuck off, Mitt Romney. And uh, well, I do love the reason people over there for sending us uh, some listeners, a uh, kind of them, I did hear on the most recent podcast, I think, and I don't want to say for sure it was uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown, but, because uh, I was just flipping on the car, and I can't remember exactly who was on it, but I think it was Elizabeth, uh, I think was defending Mitt Romney, and I thought that was absurd, because again, a, a pure opportunist. he's not voting with any moral conscience, he's just taking advantage of a situation and being a complete twat. So no thank you, Mitt. You and your ridiculous hair and your uh, veneers can uh, stay in the hell that is wherever parts of Utah you can't drink in. <laughs> I'm, not sure good. I'm not sure which parts of Utah specifically, but I know it's a lot of them, and I know I wouldn't want to live in any of them. Okay, next, let's get a little bit into the Oscars. Now, I greatly enjoyed Ricky Gervais uh, when he was hosting the Golden Globe Awards, and Ricky was not shy about expressing his dismay at the actors of Hollywood and the producers of Hollywood, including those jerk offs from American factory who used, I mean, literally quoted Karl Marx with workers unite after they won the most predictable Oscar of the night with their American factory documentary being, uh, you know, everybody just got the ballot in the mail. All these liberals got their ballots for the Oscars in the mail. They jerked off instead of checking the box on that. When they came right on the box, that said Obama and sent it back in immediately. So yeah, there you go. But Ricky Gervais had told people do not go up there and talk about your personal uh, mission, talk about your philosophies, talk about your politics, talk about all this shit that's going to turn off the average American who doesn't want to be preached to by a jerk off like you who makes millions of dollars to sit in a glass house up on the hill and not have to deal with the everyday realities that most of us are forced to deal with, trying to make basic ends meet, trying to get you know, to get by after being rammed up the ass by our taxes And actually, quick aside, it must be the prime time, at least in Los Angeles County, and tell me if it's in your local counties as well, but it's prime time for LA County to look at their books and go, oh, you know what? We need more money. Because in the last week, some epic displays of cocksuckery have been on full, full regale here in my local community. And now I live in a uh, community that is unaffiliated right it's it's not actually technically part of la county it's not technically part of a city called hawthorne i am unaffiliated and there's like a four or five block radius that's unaffiliated however apparently this little area of mine has outsourced its animal control to la county and la county decided that they're going to go door to door and see whose dogs are licensed and surprise surprise guys if your dog is not licensed Then they charge you per license, so it's $20 a dog license or more if your dogs aren't up to date on their vaccinations. Uh, If they are not microchipped, they really stick it to you. Fortunately, mine are. But they charge you per license. Then they charge you for not having been licensed before to penalize you. But again, they could simply come by, give you a fix-it ticket, whatever a fix-it ticket in dog world is. So fix this. You know, go get it fixed. i will be back in a week. Go register. Go get them licensed. Pay that fee. But no, no. They fucking penalize you for it. And on top of that bullshit, they have these assholes going around from animal control who, you know, are supposed to be out all the time anyway. They charge you a house visit fee because they came to your door unasked, unsolicited, and decide to come up, knock on your fucking door. And unfortunately for my wife, who's home nursing a baby, I was not home at the time. But this jackoff knocks on the door. She opens it up. She's literally holding a baby, like nursing a baby. And she's like, what? And the guy's like, oh, I, you have dogs. I can hear your dogs. Are they licensed? And sadly, instead of telling him to go fuck himself, we now have a bill for $120. Not only that, but I also saw a bunch of assholes for parking enforcement. Uh, the meter maids are out looking at everybody's cars to making sure that all their registrations are paid up to make sure that all their uh, their front and back license plates are on. So clearly it's time to make ends meet or they're trying to really boost the coffers for the, some, uh, probably, you know, it's like, like anything else, I don't know what their fiscal year is, but it's gotta be. Cause this kind of horse shit happening in this little time period is too coincidental not to be something intentional. Okay, back to the Oscars. So, despite Ricky Gervais' warning, all these assholes still went political. Uh, You had it right off the bat. Brad Pitt, an actor who I greatly enjoy, gets up on stage, and instead of just taking his fucking award, his first Academy Award he's ever won, instead of taking it, thanking his family, thanking, uh, I don't know, maybe he's back together with Rachel from Friends, instead of thanking his eight children from various countries and of various colors, instead of doing any of that, he gets up there, and has to talk about the fact that they didn't call Michael fucking Bolton onto the stage or onto the stand during the impeachment hearings. Well, I only have 45 seconds, which is more than Michael Bolton had during the impeachment trial. That kind of shit, man. And right off the bat, and this, I mean, you know, the opening, they didn't have a host again because the Kevin Hart thing, and you know, there were some funny jokes from Chris Rock and Steve Martin. Steve Martin's jokes were for the most part terrible, to be honest. I love Steve Martin, but I think he's lost it. Um, Chris Rock had some funny lines. You know, they joked a little bit about the homelessness problem in LA, which of course got cut off and they didn't get to talk about it uh, intentionally. That was the joke. But, you know, you have these non-hosts because as Chris Rock said, Twitter, that's why they don't have a host anymore because you can dig up dirt on anybody. So they just don't bother. Rather rotate them through. And then you've got Brad Pitt coming up, slathering the world in his political bullshit, this liberal political bullshit from the very, very get-go. And somehow they don't conflate this fact with the ratings dropping another, I think, three point three million this year—the lowest ratings ever, following last year's ratings, which were the lowest ratings ever. And we're talking a show that last year had twenty-six point three million, losing three million viewers. That's quite a few people. I mean, well, on my LinkedIn, I've got some writers that I'm friends with. You know, obviously lefty liberal writers. This one guy was opining about how, oh no, it's not the politics. That's not why they're losing viewers out there. It's it's because of the runtime, really. The Oscars has always been long. In fact, it used to be longer, guy. It's not the runtime. It's the content. It's the people. Now, one guy, I'm not going to go on too long with this, because really, what more is there to say? I don't want to repeat myself, because I did the last... Same thing last year's. There wasn't too many speeches that really were insane, like a Robert De Niro-style, you know, uh, fuck Trump thing. But there was one that stood out that I wanted to play a couple snippets of. And oddly enough, it was Walking Phoenix. And I got to say, I didn't hate it, which is very surprising because I really thought that when he started yammering on, I would go out of my mind and start yelling at the TV. But even though it was exceptionally long, and I'm going to kind of trim a little bit of it, I was able to follow it and
1: retain my sanity. I've been thinking a lot about some of the distressing issues that we are facing collectively. And I think at times we feel or we're made to feel that we champion different causes. But for me, I see commonality. I think whether we're talking about gender inequality or racism or queer rights or indigenous rights, or animal rights, we're talking about the fight against injustice. We're talking about the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender, or one species has the right to dominate, control, and use and exploit another with impunity. I think that we've become very disconnected from the natural world, and many of us, what we're guilty of is an egocentric worldview. The belief that we're the center of the universe we go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow. And when she gives birth, we steal her baby, even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. And then we take her milk that's intended for her calf and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. And I think we fear the idea of personal change Because we think that we have to sacrifice something to give something up. But human beings at our best are so inventive and creative and ingenious. And I think that when we use love and compassion as our guiding principles, we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and to the environment. Now, I've been i've been a scoundrel in my life i've been selfish i've been cruel at times hard to work with and ungrateful but so many of you in this room have given me a second chance and i think that's when we're at our best when when we support each other not when we cancel each other out for past mistakes but when we help each other to grow when we educate each other when we guide each other toward redemption that is the best of humanity Okay, so that was it. I
0: I cut out a little bit. I cut out some applause breaks and some of the stuff at the very beginning of him accepting the award. But there's some interesting stuff to unpack there. Now, number one, uh, Mark just had Anthony Samaroff, our buddy over in Scotland, on Monday's show and, of course, Anthony's been on the uh, the show before. We had him on debating Richard Wolf. Dr. Richard Wolf, the, uh, the known commie. <laughs> uh, also, of course, he had been in the Soho Forum um, debating. I can't remember who. I think that was on robots and mass unemployment. He's been on talking UBI. So, anyway... Uh, very well known. And of course, he has the Scottish Liberty podcast as well. But he was talking with Mark about whether or not libertarians should be vegetarians and how that applies to the non-aggression principle, is killing an animal an act of aggression. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting that brings up and in, in tying into uh, Joaquin Phoenix's speech here. But, you know, there is something, uh, what's interesting about what he's saying here, he's saying that, you know, we shouldn't have this concept in our minds that one race one people one species is somehow better than the other species and that we all should live in harmony kumbaya now that of course i do not necessarily agree with and the reason i don't agree with that is that not to say that people should be out decimating each other and dominating each other of course not however when it comes to the natural world when it comes to kill or be killed when it comes to basic survival I don't buy into the let's not kill animals, let's not farm animals, let's do nothing, because basically in the natural world, you have violence of untold horror. I mean, Jesus Christ. Sometimes I just, I'll, I'll watch nature shows and you see, when you see one group of monkeys literally tearing apart and eating another living screaming monkey, ripping it at the hips and tearing off its legs and eating them, you realize that, while there are definitely some horrors in the world. There definitely are horrors to anything being killed for meat or flesh. And again, you know, not taking nothing away from Antony and uh, and his view as a vegetarian libertarian, but I view this as: look, man, millions of people are surviving and thriving because of this this progress we've made as far as technological adaptation of farming, of of being able to harvest animals and eat them. And that is kind of, in my opinion, the natural world. However, I get that point of view, of course, and to, you know, the point of a vegetarian libertarian, I can see where it is aggressing on another animal to take its flesh when there could be other alternatives out there. I get it. Now, what I do think is fairly interesting, though, is Joaquin Phoenix talking about humanity coming together and being able to advance itself technologically using creativity, using intuition, in order to help the ecology, in order to help climate, in order to help each other in order to forward humanity's uh, overall well-being in accordance with the rest of the world. And that of course, is what I've been saying all along when it comes to the climate debate, where I really, at the end of the day, Could not give a goddamn about what's happening with the climate right now. And the simple reason why is that I feel without a shadow of a doubt that were this to ever actually become something that is going to be a threat to humanity or a threat to the ecosystem as a whole and impact us negatively to the extent where we're going to have millions of people dying or we're going to have massive floods and massive whatever, all these things that haven't happened, by the way despite the gloom and gloom projections. And yes, I know that there's glacial melting. I know the, that they say the oceans are uh, are sucking in more heat. And we're going to get flooded. I know all that. Point being, everything changes over time. Like, I mean, I just was looking at Howie Snowden's news links. You know, if you sign up with our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, at the $15 level and up, you get all the news links. I just saw one about, you know, finding out this new, the ring of fire uh, island chain that they found some sunken island, some sunken continent. And I just think about things like that. And I go, you know, the, the earth is constantly changing. For Christ's sakes, we had a giant mega continent called Pangea and all the animals and everything were just crawling all over the place and traveling all over the place. This is how humanity spread from here to there. And then the continent separated. And I look at that and I go, change is always going to fucking happen. Always, always. My belief that humanity can adapt, can overcome, can invent new technologies like the ones I talked about, the bricks that are sucking carbon dioxide out of the air, we'll find a way. And if we can't, it's not going to be something that is slowly creeping up on us that we somehow can't figure out how to beat it. It's going to be something like an asteroid that hits the planet and causes mass destruction so quickly and with unforeseen ability on our part to know and prepare and counteract it. That's what's going to be happening as far as the evolution or the extinction of humanity. Climate change ain't going to do it. So I agree with Joaquin. Let's all help each other out. Let's find out the solution to that, which, of course, for me, is a free market solution. Getting government out of the way, getting subsidies out of the way, getting ethanol fucking farming out of the way and focusing on the free market solution that's going to be the most profitable and bring back the most return on investment, making everyone's lives better. Now, the last thing, too, is he does give credence to the fact that, you know, Joaquin Phoenix has been a scoundrel in his life. He has been an asshole in his life. And much like other celebrities who have been complete irreverent dickheads, he is forgiven and welcomed back in because he is of the liberal bent. He's an artiste, right? So of course you always forgive these people and you let them back in and Hollywood's no stranger to that. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Roman Polanski is still widely beloved and Roman Polanski is being convicted of raping a 13-year-old girl in the ass. Convicted. And yet... He is widely adored in Hollywood. Now, that may not come as a surprise when you see the pedophile rings that are rumored. You see all the Epstein things playing out. You hear of Brian Singer of X-Men fame and all of the rumors about his predilection for children. But still, to so publicly feat a man, (laughs) F-E-T-E. And even in the big, I almost said Big Trouble in Little Hollywood. Even in Once a Time in Hollywood, I just watched, which is an interesting film. Roman Polanski's in it. He plays a role. He's a prominent figure in the film, at least for the first half. And yet there's no mention of anything gone wrong with Roman Polanski. No one's no one's raising a stink. No one's protesting outside the theater like you'd have if, say, there was a racist in a film that was Academy Award nominated. No, but having a pedophile director in there that fled back to Poland or wherever the fuck he is right now because he's a child rapist. Eh, nobody blinks an eye. But I do agree with Joaquin that cancel culture is cancerous, that people should be given a second chance, that they shouldn't be held to something that they did wrong in the past, and people should be allowed to adjust their points of view, to make good on their past wrongs, and should not simply be disallowed in society because of something that they may have done in their youth or in a fit of drunken stupidity, as will probably be why I get canceled then again, I'm sober right now. I could can get canceled for any of the things I say in the show. And probably soon. Well, what time is it? Eh, what is it? 6, uh, 640 on a Tuesday night? Yeah, I've probably got 10 more minutes. So anyway, that about wraps up the Oscars. I don't have too much more to say on it. It was fairly predictable. I missed a lot of it because I was just beyond drunk drinking martinis uh, all night long and uh, just banding about in the kitchen, kind of glancing up here and there because really I could overall just give a damn anymore, just like most of America. I mean, Christ, I live in Hollywood. I have friends in the industry. I uh, am a writer for Christ's sakes. I'm writing screenplays. I'm writing, you know, writing, uh, sitcom scripts, writing feature scripts. So you'd think I'd be more invested in it, but I just can't care because these people are blowhard assholes. I just can't care. Taika Waititi, a guy who I very much respect as far as a writer and a comedian and a director Goes up there and he's talking about how we're on Indigenous people's lands. He's talking about American, you know, Native American lands. I, I, I'm with you that the genocide was terrible that it happened, but come on, man, come on. Just get up there, get your award, and shut the fuck up. All right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about something else. How about we move on? Actually, you know what? I want to talk about uh, this topic. I want to talk about the House passing a bill to boost labor. And this was called the right to, hold on, I'm bringing it up right now, Protecting the Right to Organize Act. Now, this is ironic because this is basically a bill that gives people the ability to force others into unions, right? I mean, this is, because there's so many right to work, States right now, they're trying to make this into a federal mandate that would eliminate right-to-work uh, states, would basically eliminate the ability for people to opt out of a an union. And of course, if you're not familiar with right-to-work, right-to-work says that if a union happens to be in a workplace, you cannot be forced to join that union. You cannot be forced to pay the union dues because they say you're a free rider or that they're negotiating on your behalf, even if you're not the union. And thus, you have to have your wages garnished and given to that union. So the Democrats want to eliminate that ability in addition to some other things that the bill talks about, which are, uh, for example, making it more difficult to have workers that are not full time, like, you know, contract labor, kind of like, AB5, the idiotic California bill, attacking the gig economy. Uh, They also wanted to make it easier for labor unions to garnish, uh, you know, kind of garnish fines and fees from companies that they say are violating union ability to organize or to strike or to negotiate in good faith. All these, again, made up terms, amorphous terms, when it just should come down to you and your company deciding what you're worth, if you think you're worth more, you can tell them that. If you can get hired at that price, fantastic. If you can't, apparently you weren't worth it at that company. Go somewhere else, figure it out. But what's really cracking me up is reading the language about this. And like I was just googling uh, Googling some of the counterpoints to of course my own, which I think all these stories are bullshit. But here's one from the Washington Post, right? And listen to the language this is couched in. This is by some clown named Eli Rosenberg, who was a uh, supposedly a journalist. And this is the way that this guy phrases it. One of the most significant bills to strengthen workers' abilities to organize in the past 80 years passed the House on Thursday. The latest sign of momentum for the labor movement. Now, <laughs> I'll provide my counterpoints here. This is not a sign of momentum. This is a sign of cronyism and the sign that Democrats are desperately still courting the union vote. Of course, union support for Democrats has always been a prominent part of how they fundraise. Nothing has changed. But this is what's funny to me. And this is like two different articles I read. One was in the Hill. One's in the Washington Post. The Protecting the Right to Organize Act would amend some of the country's decades-old labor laws to give workers more power during disputes at work, add penalties for companies that retaliate against workers they organize, and grant hundreds of thousands of workers collective bargaining rights they don't currently have. Do you like that phrasing? And grant hundreds of thousands of workers collective bargaining rights. That's a fancy way to say force workers into joining unions, isn't it? And this is what I'm seeing in the different articles. They all have a way of of, you know, just gently dodging around the main issue, which is that you are literally taking away people's ability to negotiate on their own behalf and forcing them into joining these cronyist organizations, which you know are gonna support liberal politicians. Now, what's extra interesting about this is that support for labor unions and membership in labor unions has dropped precipitously over the years. I think that there's only something like eight or 9% of workers that are actually in labor unions and tying it to our brand new sponsor, which happens to be good morning, Liberty. Uh, those sons of bitches. I wanted to talk about this because they did a show and I listened to it. You can check them out on Apple on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are heard. But I listened to one of their episodes earlier in the week. And of course, I usually don't do this because I hate to listen to other podcasts lest somebody has the exact same point I do. Then I feel like I'm plagiarizing it. But instead of waiting till after my show here, I listened to their uh, their take on it, Nate and Charlie over there. And I agree with them completely in this. You've got union membership dropping every year. Now, if that's dropping... And it's not because people don't see a benefit in unions. I think we can all look at the unions and see how they have strong-armed their way through underhanded tactics, through intimidation tactics, through cronyist uh, relationships with government. Even though that's to the detriment of all the consumers out there and the average worker that's not in the union. But clearly... There's a drop in union membership because people don't feel like paying the union dues. They're seeing that they're losing their power. They're seeing that these are unsustainable in the current era, that these pensions are not going to be something that companies guarantee any longer and simply cannot in the marketplace. It's simply not a reality. So why would they join a union? Why would they tether themselves to this cronyist, corrupt organization instead of simply being able to negotiate their own fees, be able to freely go about their way, work for different companies here and there and everywhere, and have more options? Now, that clearly indicates to me unions are failing. This is a concept of a bygone era. People see that. So let's just let them die, right? Right. That's the way the market works. A bad idea that's past its time fades into the distance to be forgotten. Maybe it's as a fond memory for your old grandpa that was in the steel union. Otherwise, for the rest of us, we can simply say, thank God, good riddance, good night, and good luck. So... What do we see though? Because the liberal politicians, because the leftists and the Democrats need to have that union support, not because it's a good thing, not because they believe it helps income inequality, which it doesn't, not because they think that it's good for the average worker, which it's not, not because they think it's good for the public. Because it's good for them, because it's good for them maintaining their power and maintaining their fundraising base, they push through this bullshit cronious legislation. And, you know, I can't say it any better, but it is an idea that is so good that it has to be forced upon us, right? That's what these Democrats think. And this is where I completely agree with the folks at Good Morning Liberty on this and why I'm so annoyed that I listened to their podcast because, God damn it, now we're sharing the exact same concept. But it is true, and it's the exact same I thought. If this is such a great idea, people should not have to be forced into it. If it's such a natural good, people would organically gravitate towards it. They would be more than happy to spend their money and give their earnings to unions if they really brought them back such a bounty of benefits. Clearly, they don't. So now we have government cronies coming in and trying to force people to keep these things alive, just as I talked about in other episodes. It's like trying to breathe life into an industry that's no longer viable. It's like trying to keep the horse and buggy companies going when the automobile is here. It needs to die. These politicians need to be ousted from office because it is blatantly obvious. I mean, again, it's another, it's just another death knell for what the democratic party has become. And again, I don't mean to forgive the GOP for all of its sins. I do not forgive them. I do not forgive them for the fucking atrocious budgets that they're running up under Donald Trump. I don't forgive them for the wars. I don't forgive them for the cops. I don't forgive them for the, the, the drug war. However, Right now, it kind of seems the GOP is just treading water while the Democrats continuously are pushing these horrible policies forward and they don't see the writing on the wall that people that are out there in America do not want to buy into this shit. They don't want to be forced into these. They do not want to be socialized. They do not want to see their private personal privileges and their personal choices taken away at the expense of their liberty to give certain people benefits that don't fucking deserve them and just get them because they're lining the pockets of the politicians so keep going democrats it'll be interesting to see how that turns out in, uh, in the election season coming up here in november but i think it's going to be a dark dark day for a lot of people on the left All right, so guys, let me do an official touting of the folks at Good Morning Liberty for you. If you're looking for another Libertarian podcast to fill your daily routine, I highly recommend these guys. Nate and Charlie, number one, smooth-voiced motherfuckers. Smooth voices over there, guys. Trust me, you're going to enjoy listening to it, probably more than me, because, well, I've got the sweet pipes of a uh, sports broadcaster, maybe a late-night Lothario or somebody that's working, you know, at at a small nightclub, maybe crooning. I get riled up. I start screaming. These guys, yeah, yeah nice and easy on the ears. But we'd say a little bit more about them. Good Morning Liberty was started by two libertarian business owners in Nashville, Tennessee, where they're both musicians. As musicians in Nashville, Charlie and Nate hit multiple Billboard charts each with their own bands. Kind of cool. They uh, the two have had number one songs, MTV A appearances, and they even have been in nationally televised commercials, which is kind of funny. <laughs> You can Google them and see if you can find them. All while never being signed to a record label or management company. Good Morning Liberty is a podcast focused on finding free market solutions for today's political and economic problems while working to disprove the socialist ideology. Uh, Guys, if you own yourself, Libertarian is the most moral political ideology. We know that. They aim to prove it as we do here on our show. They've got new episodes daily. So check out Good Morning Liberty podcast on your favorite app or on their website, BernieLies.com. All right, we are back with Electric Liberty Land, episode number 163. By the way, I will be on Good Morning Liberty along with John Odermatt. We're going to uh, drop in, spray some liberty around on the walls, the curtains, the carpets, whatever whatever we can really get uh, from here. And I think we're doing that, I think we're recording at the end of the month, so probably early in March is when that'll air. And while I'm telling you about stuff, by the by, Mark Clare and I, this weekend, this Saturday, 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 we will be at the LA County Libertarian Convention. We will be speaking, Mark's going to speak at nine, I'm going to speak at 10. I will be talking about liberty and comedy, how they are conflated, how libertarians should and do own comedy. We just need to take it back take it back oh take it back so come on out guys i know you can go on Eventbrite. if you just type in libertarian party of los angeles county convention it'll pop right up or you can just go to ca.lp.org which is the libertarian of california party website and uh, register there all right hope to see you out it's going to be a hell of a time we're going to stick around obviously for a little bit and uh hang shoot the shit by that time it'll be 11 o'clock never too early to drink right all right, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up after this last story, because honestly, I am feeling a little sick right now. Something's not sitting too well with me. I made myself some yellowtail collar for me and my wife, and uh, god damn It's like, all of a sudden, I was like, ah, my stomach. <laughs> uh, but the good news is, in one of my many trips to the bathroom, I just saw breaking news, that Andrew Yang has dropped out of the presidential race. He is no longer going to be taking part in any of the debates. He is no longer going to be listed on the primary of candidates listings for the caucus of the future. And that's sad if I'm being honest. And I didn't agree with, uh, with his UBI proposals. I completely disagree with his take that robots are going to replace us and that somehow automation and uh, adoption of technology is going to put massive amounts of people out of work too fast for us to catch up because history simply doesn't agree. And the only thing that happens is people become more productive. They're able to apply their talents and their skills and their creativity in other places. They go into industries that service the robotics or they go into uh, new industries that spring up because we no longer need that specific instance uh, for physical labor. So it goes somewhere else. These things have happened over time. They'll happen again in the future. It's not a big problem. It just seemed a little bit opportunistic. However, I did agree with Andrew Yang's take on several other things. He had a good take on the wars. He had a good take on bringing the troops home. He had a very centrist take upon many issues where even as a libertarian, I could go, okay, Andrew, I'm kind of with you there. At least you have a rational point of view. At least you're for you know ending the drug wars. At least you're for ending the wars. At least you're for th- some of the things I could get behind while not having the most outlandish solutions for a lot of uh, the problems that the Democrats claim that we have. So I'm sorry to see him go. Uh, Meanwhile, we still have Joe Biden, uh, who's calling women dog or pony faced liars, whatever the hell he said at the beginning. Somehow he remains. Yet Andrew Yang is gone. I guess he just wasn't crazy enough. Sorry, Andrew. Giving everybody $1,000 a month isn't enough for the Democrats to get behind you. It has to be far more rabid than that. And frankly, you should have told more white people that they were the demons responsible for all the ills of society. So there you go. There's some breaking news. Uh, the, the, the last couple of things I did want to talk about kind of ties in with uh, <laughs> with calling white people the devils and, and uh, changing things and emphasizing diversity. But actually, I'll do two quick things. Number one, Barnes & Noble is getting backlash for putting people of color on the covers of classic books. Like, for example, Moby Dick, where you know, you know, Captain Ahab, you know, he's a white guy. You know, and in all these books, the characters are specifically white. We know that for a fact. And yet Barnes & Noble thought it would be a good idea for these pieces of literature, which, of course, are now public domain, uh, you know, like Shakespeare's works, for instance. They are now public domain, so they're making the characters into variants, colored variants of their original descriptions. This did not go over well with purists, as one might imagine, especially for beloved books uh, considered classics. So they have now removed them from the shelves, apologized for their transgressions, and crawled back into the hidey hole. Now, one could argue, is this really that big a deal? If you're trying to get more people of color to read these books, maybe it would help to put them on there. But it does seem very stupid and very pandering, especially when once you open the book, let's say you're a little African-American kid or a little Latino kid, and you go, oh, look at this book. That's a black guy. He looks like me on the cover. And then you open it up and it's clearly a white guy. And he's described as such. You can see how this is a pretty stupid solution. Uh, it is the epitome of. I mean, one could call it blackface, really. You are blackfacing the characters of these novels by virtue of putting them in colored facades on the covers. So a little bit ridiculous. And then the last thing I want to talk about was I just got this email in. Because obviously, you know, for my work, I do public relations. We work with a lot of ad agencies uh, over the years. And so I get updates from AdAge. And they got through some study that was done It said, what's the difference between what Fox fans, you know, people that watch Fox News versus CNN, what do they think is funny? So I said, well, you know what? I'm very curious to see. And they have a little Venn diagram they did, and this is from a company called uh, InScape, the San Francisco-based smart TV data company that's a subsidiary of Vizio. Now off the bat this company that's based in san francisco is clearly not going to be too in line with the average fox news viewer and so right off the bat let me just say that this is poison data and that came to fruition once i looked at the overlapping venn diagram that they released and this is tv comedy preferences cnn versus fox news viewers on the cnn side real time with Bill Maher last week with John Oliver, Saturday night live, Rick and Morty, the daily show late night with Seth Meyers, full frontal with Samantha B lights out with David Spade, Jimmy Kimmel live. And then Tyler Perry's sisters, I guess they had to throw one in there. One for the, uh, one for the diversity crowd in the middle, watched by both CNN and Fox news channel was Conan shameless, which is a show. I think is on AMC or showtime. Uh, the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon and Tosh. O. Oddly enough, I didn't even realize Tosh Bono was still a big thing. I did like Daniel Tosh back in the day, but I didn't realize he, uh, he's still going so strong, but then listen to the shit that they listed for the Fox news channel. Looney tunes, the three stooges, impractical jokers, America's funniest home videos, Tom and Jerry, and kids say the darndest things. Now, is anybody noticing a little bit of differentiation here as far as what they're selecting. Now I don't see, um, Oh my God. What's the Tim, the toolman Taylor till at Tim Allen show last man standing. I know is, is pretty popular with Fox news style viewers. They're not talking about any of the other sitcoms. Maybe the Connors would be popular. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Like what are some other more blue collar Trump land comedies that might be on there? And also, don't think people necessarily are not watching Rick and Morty either I mean I watch Rick and Morty I think it's fantastic as far as being more libertarian in a lot of ways even though Dan Smots and I had crapped on a few of the episodes this uh, year in our retake or our uh, recap show but really they're talking CNN they're like oh they watch real time with Bill Maher and uh, the Daily Show and Saturday Night Live Fox News viewers Looney Tunes and the Three Stooges this is clear bullshit and look I don't really like Fox News I don't watch Fox News I don't watch CNN either but empirically as a guy looking out from the inside or from the outside and a guy that's in the middle of these two you know as far as what you believe in I gotta say this is ridiculous just listing Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes alone is ridiculous. You're telling me really that Fox News viewers, a lot of these people are highly intelligent. A lot of these people are adults that are of an age where you would not be watching Tom and Jerry are sitting down after a hard day and they're saying, eh, I just want to watch some cartoons from 1950s. Now, is this maybe because they skew older? I guess maybe you could argue that. But still, the Three Stooges? That shit's on like during the daytime and it's like on from two to 5 PM on God knows what, ch- I don't even know what channel it's on anymore. So anyway, fuck this company, fuck this bullshit, which now you're going to see everybody talking about. And it's even got a little a smiley face laughing emoji in the top right corner. I don't know if that's intentional because it's near the Fox news side of things or the saying that. This is because it's TV comedy, but certainly all seems a little bit too cute, a little bit too custom picked for my tastes. So once again, San Francisco technology showcases just how much it derides and can't stand the, uh, the redder side of America. All right. That's going to do it for our show today, guys. Apologies that it's a little short. Um, but Hey man, I don't know between the guts and the tiredness of the baby. Yeah. Something's taking me down and I got a date with a, a seat. You know what I mean? All right, guys. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.